Welcome to the Everyday Lions Running Podcast. I am your host, Brian Lyons. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the podcast. I would just like to thank everyone who has been tuning in, and especially this last week, we've hit our biggest downloads week ever, so thank you. And the great train race is only 10 weeks away. So if you'd like to find out more information for that, head over to www.everydaylions.org. We also have the carbo load function the night before, and all the money raised from this will go to the Tim Blair Run for Kids Foundation, which raises money for kids who are affected by cancer. It'll be a great night. We have public speaker Millie Clark and a few more still to be confirmed. It's only $60 for the night, so please check that out at www.everydaylines.org as well. And check out our Facebook page. Each week leading up to the race, we will be doing a course description and tips. The first one is up and running now, so please check that out. Each week, the podcast costs a number of dollars to produce. So if you are enjoying the podcast, we would love a donation or a contribution. You can do this by going over to www.everydaylines.org and looking up the Everyday Lines Running Podcast tab. We would love your support. Thank you. This week's guest is Randall Markey. Randall Markey is a Tasmanian running legend. And for those guys who really do love their running, this will be a great podcast for you. Randall has had an amazing life and I really enjoyed this podcast personally. He's such an intelligent person and that really shows in our conversation. Until next time, I've been Brian Lyons, your host. This is the Everyday Lions Running Podcast and here's Randall. Welcome to the Everyday Lions Running Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. Today's guest is a bit of a Tasmanian running legend. He now lives in the ACT for 30 plus years. Uh, He's been a Commonwealth Games representative. Uh, He's won an Australian title over 1,500 metres and he's gone close to breaking a four-minute mile. How are you, Randall? And welcome to the show. I'm very well, thanks, Brian, and uh, great talking to you, and thanks for inviting me on to your show. No worries. I've been a massive fan for a long time, so it's great to uh, finally meet you. How's your well, day? Well, that's uh, very nice to know. I'm, I'm surprised that anybody even remembers me or even heard of me, to tell you the truth. It seems like an awfully long time ago that I was running around up at the Domain Track in Hobart. I mean, it's got to be, well, I don't know, 50 years ago, 45 years ago, something like that. Yeah, and have you been back to uh, check out the domain recently in the last few years? Or, oh, look, I, I, I probably in the last five years, uh, Brian, I have. Um, I went down there, and my old mate John Bender lives there, and uh, we uh, we spent a lot of lot of time and uh, many many wasted hours running around that track in our youth, misspent youth, and so we we went up there, and it was quite interesting. Um, we, we, we ran into some old faces and um, Noel Ruddock and, uh, and all the crew up there and they invited us up into the, the officials box and we had a, had a bit of a drink and uh, some food and stuff and um, yeah, it was fantastic catching up with people that literally I hadn't seen in many decades. So uh, yeah, it was, it was really a bit of a homecoming. 
Great, fantastic. And what was your introduction into the running? How did it all kick off for you? Well, look, you won't be surprised, mate. I guess where everybody else at school seems to be sort of the starting point for uh, for most people. I, I remember as a kid in primary school in Hobart that I, I was um, a, a, a sprinter and I could always win, you know, the 10s and 11s and 12-year-old sort of 100 metres or whatever we had then, 60 metres or whatever it was. It was yards, of course. Um, and uh, I used to win. I was always fairly slow at the start, but I sort of wound it up and I could go past them. And But then I noticed, um, interestingly, when I sort of started getting 12, 13, they all started catching up in the 100 metres. And um, I sort of thought, well, perhaps that wasn't for me. Perhaps that wasn't my uh, natural talent. And um, just through school cross countries and um, school sports, house sports and uh, things like that, found out that I could uh, keep running and uh, running around that over, around, around, around. It didn't seem to get tired out. So I thought, well, and you know, well, no, I don't know what I thought, but some people uh, saw me and said, well, you, you, you might be able to do a bit of running. So um, naturally being a kid, you like to sort of um, gravitate towards what you're good at. Yeah, awesome. And were you winning races straight away? Was that was that where the talent was picked up? Um, look, mate, you're really stretching the memory, but um, yeah. <laughs> I think I think I was. Yeah, look, I think when I and and sort of the turning point for me was um, a, a guy called Froggy Wise, who everybody would know as a, a legend in Tasmanian track and field. Um, he 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 was coaching me, so initially I sort of uh, went to him. And um, he said, well, really, I wasn't a sprinter. So Froggy worked out uh, very quickly that I wasn't a sprinter. And he, he said, I know the guy. So he, a great friend of his and colleague over many years, a guy called Max Cherry. Yeah, uh, and um, I met Matt, I met Max Cherry and um, he sort of took me under his arm, under his wing. And um, that's sort of where it all started. I mean, I'd done a little bit of dabbling and running before, but when I met Max, um, he sort of got a little bit, you know, we got into training and regular training and that sort of thing. So, and I, look, I must have been um, 15 by then. So I didn't really start that early. I mean, I was 15, 15 and a half, something like that. And uh, and, and, and that's when I met, met, uh, met Max, who was a bit of a mentor over, over the years. Great. And I've met Max many, many years ago before he passed away, unfortunately. And he's, he's such a lovely guy. And uh, like you said, he's a, he's a massive legend of, of running in Hobart and he's one of these people that I used to love talking to and milking lots of information out of. So we were very lucky to have him as a coach. Yeah, and look, I think um, Max really transcended athletics and coaching. I mean, I see really, if you wanted to characterise him, he really was uh, he was a guy who, who helped and assisted young people um, to reach their potential in many fields, really. And um, he, he helped people to believe in themselves. He gave them a goal and he was uh, um, he was very inspiring. And um, I think really, and um, I think he did get an Order of Australia or some such uh, very well-distinguished award and um, well-deserved it was. But I think really in the wider field of, you know, and, and you sort of say athletics, well, yes, of course it is, but I, I think Max saw that, um, you know, I think we should see Max perhaps in a wider perspective as a community asset. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? Often a coach is more than just a coach. They're, they're a mentor and, and someone to really look up to and, and probably even a father figure in many ways as well. Well, he, he was a bit that. My, my father uh, was actually a fisherman and uh, he was away a lot. So he, he used to fish for crayfish on the West Coast. So he would go away for weeks on end and naturally he was my, my dad and we were close. But um, I probably, um, you know, when I was at school and running, I would see Max every night. 
Yeah. Um, certainly during summer and, um, you know, most three or four nights during, during winter, um, doing longer cross-country type training or, you know, down, down at Sandy Bay Beach or something like that. So, yeah, he was a very, uh, um, in my formative years, a very a key figure. Yeah. No, that's great. And, and so you were 15 or 16 when you went to Max. Uh, what was your development like over the next two years? Because uh, I'm, I'm looking back on a few notes here and I noticed you may have won a junior Australian title. So in those years, what did your training look like? Can you remember? <laughs> Probably well, stretching the. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, I think people know that um, Max has a reputation of being a hard taskmaster, and I I think probably you know we he did did train we did train fairly hard, and we trained um, I think sort of intensively too, uh, perhaps more intensively than than people at that stage. Now I I, I don't really follow athletics. Um, um, because I've, you know, been involved in jobs and things that really, uh, it's just taken me away from athletics. I mean, I, I am interested, but just really haven't had the time. Yeah. Um, and I think I sort of impression that intensive training probably these days is quite intensive. I think he might have been before his time. But look, yeah, look, I did develop quickly under Max and less than 12 months or something. I think I, um, well, when I was to get this right when I was 16 so that can't be very long after that it's got to be 12 months I actually broke the Australian sub junior record which was under 17 I guess it still is I ran 150.8 seconds and I'd actually broken it at North Hobart I think um, from memory look I'm, you know people probably tell me I'm wrong but I seem to remember that I broke the Australian sub junior record and ran 151.1 at North Hobart yeah. And, wow, just um, in the grass even. That's amazing. Yeah, and it wasn't counted because um, at that stage uh, there was a rise and fall in uh, North Hobart, as you know, probably still is. And um, for record purposes, it wasn't accepted. So I had to go to, uh, to Victoria. So Max came with me and we went over to Victoria. We had a race set up. And um, I don't know what people in Tasmania still think of Victorians. I mean, I, when I was there, we didn't think much of, much of the big white V. They're all sort of yeah. talking about <laughs> themselves and how great they are. And, you know, they reckon they, they, they're the best in the world and everything. Well, they're not, but they just think that. Now, yeah. I remember <laughs> as a 16-year-old going to the track where I was going to make my uh, Australian record, and they put me so far out um, I was actually nearly on the fence. So they yeah. had about 20 people in the race and um, they knew that I had a chance of um, uh, breaking the record, but uh, that that didn't um, cut any ice with the Victorians. They, they made it very clear that I was from Tasmania and I would go at the very end. So I actually ended up running 150.8 and I often laughed with Max. If I'd actually got a good start, I suspect I would have been very close to 150. Um, yeah. It was really quite disadvantageous. And uh, but once again, probably underlines what I think of Victorians. Yep. <laughs> Sounds like a very unfair thing to do. But uh, so at I, 16, you were you, like you were running low 150 which is absolutely amazing and uh so from these from these next two years on you just kept on building your mileage up and or were you always a smaller mileage runner or did or were you um, based or no I, I think that's you're absolutely you're spot on uh, brian i think that i did start off with the shorter stuff 
at the very start, which is probably not that surprising, and uh, probably um, and developed quickly over the two laps. And I suspect it was because of the shorter, sharper sort of training. The training then, the training regime then changed, I think. And so I think Max probably thought, well, um, my talents probably uh, lay with the, the, the longer distance, the, the metric mile. And so the training naturally, the distance was upped. And, um, and, and, and um, I think during the sort of one of the winters there, I can't remember, I, I really did sort of get into doing the mileage and um and uh, some years later I, I one of my fondest memories is I used to go every Thursday night with a guy called David Chettle um yes, who was living yeah. in um, in Lena Valley and uh, I used to go out drive out to Lena Valley so I probably was about 18 or so and um uh dr drove out there and uh, David and I would run from Lena Valley right down past the shop tower at Taruna, we'd then turn around and come back. Now, I, I want to say sort of like, you know, people sort of think it was a, a, a jog. It wasn't. So if you're running with David, it was flat strap. Now, I, I really don't know. I can't remember what it was. But look, well under six-minute mile pace. It was yeah. we, we would go very hard. And um, so that was probably indicative. So mileage up. Uh, yeah, look, um, won the... I think I won the the junior fifteen hundred meters championships. I think it was in Sydney, about three forty five or thereabouts. Um, and then not sort of um, and uh, well, I, I remember sort of training, and, um, you know, trying out for the Commonwealth Games. And I remember the track. I think I think the track was being built or was almost finished, but we couldn't use it for some reason. The council had decided to keep the gates locked. And I remember training for the Commonwealth Games in 1974, which were held in Christchurch, New Zealand, and we had to run in the winter um, at the Elwick uh, Paceway, um, yeah, where, right. where the horses run. That was the only sort of available thing. So. Um, we were sort of at a bit of a disadvantage, but we didn't let that worry us. We just just got on with it. And um, I won the Commonwealth Games trials, which are up in Sydney, and therefore uh, was selected for the Commonwealth Games uh, in uh, January 1974. Yeah. And did they did they double as the national championships as well? So did you win or was uh, that a total, no. totally separate thing? No, it was totally separate. So the selection trials were, um, and I look, I think Graham Crouch from memory didn't run in the selection trials because he'd already been pre-selected um, for times, probably run in Europe and that like, but all the other spots were up. So I guess there's two other spots were open. And so they were up for grabs. I actually won the trials. Um, I beat right. um, a whole lot of seniors and I, I, I was only, um, so how old was I? I was 18 at the time. Yeah. And I ran, um, when I ran in Commonwealth, I've actually, so I mean, I, I, in my whole life, I've ran uh, the one mile distance once and only once. When I'm in America for nearly four years, I never, I never ran the mile. The mile sort of, for yeah, some amazing. reason, yeah, they just didn't do it. Um, but when I was um, 18 years old, I ran in the heat for the Commonwealth Games 342.8. And I, I claim that was a equivalent or slightly less than a four minute mile. So yeah. people, you know, people get hooked on the, on the four minute mile, but, you know, it's, it's yeah, just a number. <laughs> I think I think the equivalent. So so um, and I think that three forty two eight. And look, I've lost track of all this, but um, when you contacted me, I did look in the records, and it's still there. I think as a well a junior or something or other record in Tasmania. Anyway. Yeah, I think so. I think you're sitting uh, third or fourth on the list now, which is still amazing. Yeah. I mean, and when we're we're talking nineteen seventies here, and still to be yeah. on that list in two thousand. Yeah, and Brian, that's but that's the that's a junior record. Yeah, junior. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not, I'm not talking about the senior. So that that's the junior record. Yeah, yeah amazing. So it was actually under 19 because I was 18. So it's not an under 20 record. It's an under yeah. 19. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. And 
And how was the Commonwealth Games experience? Can you tell me all about well, that? Yeah, being eighteen and, and a bit of a bit of a kid from Tassie, it was a bit bit over over awing really. I mean, I got there, and um, you know, uh, Commonwealth Games sometimes are considered not to be um, uh, the best quality, but this one certainly was. It had all the best um, milers in the world, the best fifteen hundred meters runners. Uh, Philbert Bayo from Tanz- Tanzania was the dominant force. He um, he found a new way of running. He revolutionised uh, the 1500 metres. He'd go out and, you know, uh, in about 55, 56 seconds, he'd uh, go through the half in about uh, 152. Now, hitherto to that... Okay, so uh, just break the field up there. <laughs> he'd run sort of much more even pace. So he really, really changed it. Um, I don't know if that interests, but my son just um, kind of beat there. But anyway, look, so he totally revolutionised it. And, of course, what happened, I got myself into a, you know, to the, and I came second to John Walker in the, um, in the and, uh, you know, sort of there was a heat where it was sort of going, going well within ourselves. And then I got into the final. Well, the final was a completely different kettle of fish. The final was, mm-hmm. as, as stated, was flat strap from the start and I must say it was, it was a very fast pace it was a bit a bit, bit, bit much for me so but anyway I look uh, I still I still uh, can dine out on the fact that I ran in the, the the world record race where the first two people broke the existing world record and third place which was Ben Jipko from Kenya equaled the world record so the first three either equaled or beat the world record so I mean I can't remember where I came probably 10th or 11th or something like that but um, yeah yeah um, yeah, so that that, that was the common experience, though, mate. At, at eighteen years of age, to be able to experience that—that's something that not many eighteen-year-olds can can say in their life. No, no, and look, looking back, I mean, at the time, it was probably a bit overpowering, and um, you know, and seeing Walker and um, and, and Bay and all those people when you're being marshalled at the start, and um, you, you're there, and it's all it's all it's all quite nerve wracking. But if you've never done it before. Um, but look, it was great experience, and um, you know, I'm so glad that I did it and had the opportunity to do it. Thanks to Max and my parents and a whole lot yeah. of people along the way. Of course, you just don't do it yourself. Um, you're, you're, you know, you just um, you, you wouldn't get there if you didn't have a whole lot of people um, behind you assisting you. And then, um, then I then I did come back to Australia naturally enough, and um, the Australian Championships were on in March in Melbourne. So I went, I did go to the national championships and that's where I did win the Australian senior open national 1500 meters championship um, in 340.6. And that was at Olympic park. Yeah. Great. Great. And, and how did this unfold for you? Can you tell me all about this race? Did you leave from the start or were you sitting back or? No, look, and it's a long time ago and it's a good question, but um, yeah, um, it's a, I, look, I didn't lead. I didn't lead. And, um, I don't think I led probably to the last 100 metres or something. A guy called Ken Hall um, sort of uh, took the pace out. Look, Ken went on to run in Europe and, you know, he's run the mile well under 354 or something like that. I'm not sure. But he he led the pace and um, I then sort of uh, took over towards the end and and managed to cross the line first. And Ken Hall was second. And uh, I can't think his name, Peter. Tepid, I think, from South Australia was third. So they're all sort of under the 343 mark. Um, as I say, I ran 340.6, and I, I was only one month over uh, one month over the uh, one, 19 years and one month. Yeah, wow, wow. So still, still very young at that age. So you're you're 18, 19, and you've made the trip all over uh, across the ditch to the states. 
Uh, how did this all come about and what was the decision in this? Uh, yeah, okay. Well, look, I think actually the genesis of the, um, the scholarship in America, they contacted me. So the University of Oregon, I guess, you know, they keep their eyes appealed um, sort of how people are going um, in different parts of the world. And I got contacted um, by Bill Dellinger, I think was the coach at the time, and almost certainly he was. Um, and uh, he, he got in touch and, um, you know, I was offered a full scholarship. Um, look, I think um, initially I declined it and decided that, um, you know, um, and there was some, you know, there was a lot of things to weigh up, uh, Brian. I mean, it's, um, I wasn't that old and, um, you know, you really hadn't been away from home before and it was a, it's a long ways away. You didn't have the internet then, mate. You didn't have mobile phones. You didn't have social media. Um, you had letters and they would, um, you know, even if you sent them email, um, they would take a long time to go. So it was a big decision. And um, the, and also uh, in, in consultation with Max, a lot of a lot of runners had gone to America and never been heard of since. Um, and there was some sort of concern that they run a lot of relays and um, they have a lot of meets and uh, a lot of people are, are used up and, um, you know, and spat out the other end and sort of, uh, you know, exhausted really and get injured. So, look, for the, those reasons, I declined. But, look, after a few months um, on, on rethinking it and, and the like and having discussions with Dellinger and Oregon, um, I decided to take up the offer. And um, I can't remember. So when did I arrive there? It must have been. I've got a list. Might have been 75, I think. Yeah, the start of 75. Yeah. yeah, I think it was 75 to 79 maybe. Is that something yeah, like that? Yeah, 78. I think I'd gone by 78. Yeah. The, the scholarships are four years, but I'd graduated in three years because I'd, I'd actually done a, a year at TAS Uni, so I had a lot of credits. Okay. I, did, I did first year economics at TAS Uni, so um, I think sort of that can. And anyway, I got to the end of it and I decided that I, I could have stayed longer. Um, but I thought it was time to return home. So yeah, and you studied a bachelor of political science. Is that correct? Yeah, look at the bachelor yeah. of art. Well, in America, it's actually interesting. It's actually a bachelor of science, and in America, and I don't know. I think it's still the case. Unless you do four years of a language, you can't get a bachelor of arts. You have to do a foreign language. So it's actually a bachelor of science, but it's our equivalent, and it was in political science. Correct. Yeah, great. And and Bill Dellinger, uh, if. For anybody tuning into this podcast, they'd probably be familiar with that name from um, a Hollywood movie called Without Limits, which is based on Steve Prefontaine, who was a pretty big name back in the day. He was an American record holder for 5K, 10K, 3K. Uh, did you, number one, did you meet Steve? And what was the relationship like with Bill? Okay, so first, yes, I did. So when I got there in 1975, and it must have been early 1975, um, it was about January or something thereabouts, um, I remember meeting him on, on several occasions. And in fact, um, I was at a party, I was invited to go to a party um, where he was at. And in fact, um, after that party, um, I'd gone, and he left and uh, hopped in his car. And um, we woke up the next morning to find out that the running legend from Oregon had actually been killed in a car accident. So, um, you know, almost to my sort of introduction to Oregon, uh, met him, but he was um, he was gone. So that was, um, you know, and, and he was a hero in Oregon and in the United States, um, mainly because of his personality. He was a, he's a very good runner, um, but he seemed to have captured the imagination. And um, so, you know, it was a fairly tough time for, for the community who, uh, you know, who really loved him. Um, now, Bill Dellinger, yeah, look, Bill, Bill was a good guy. 
I really like Bill. Bill was a uh, bronze medalist at the 1964 Tokyo Olympics in the 5,000 metres. So um, Bill certainly was a good runner in his own right, and uh, he was the coach. Um, look, it was a totally different system to what I was used to with Max. Max was a very personable sort of guy. It was a hands-on. It was almost a one-on-one relationship. Well, Dellinger, he's got lots of runners there. Um, not the least was a guy called Matt Centrowitz. Now, Matt Centrowitz, who I ran with at Oregon, is the father of the current Olympic gold medalist, Matthew Centrowitz. So I ran with yeah. his dad. Um, he was a very good runner. He he ran in the Olympics. Um, I can't remember. It might have been 1976 or 1980. He moved up from the 1500. I think he was about a 336 runner, ran the 5,000 metres in the Olympics. Um, I ran with a guy called Alberto Salazar. He was um, yeah. he was there. You might have heard of him. I think Absolutely. Yeah, probably yeah, not the so. best news lately, but I'll definitely no, no. He, he was there. <laughs> he was a nice young fellow, interesting background. He had a, a father. He His um, father was Cuban, and his, um, his father was a, a close uh, colleague or confidant of Fidel Castro, but had a falling out. And if you had, a, you remember, if you had a falling out with Fidel Castro, you probably had to leave town fairly quickly, yeah, which he did. Yeah, it's not a good thing. So they, <laughs> yeah, they were political exiles um, and came to America. So, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, many good runners. A guy called Peter Spur, who ran for Canada in the Olympics in the 1500 metres as the Canadian 1500 metres championship champion. Um, you know, lots of fantastic athletes, and um, it was a you know it was a bit of an eye opener for for me. Training system was a bit different. Um, Bill's training was probably what I'd call more volume and less intensity than than I'd been used to. Um, okay. And I, I found it sort of um, not necessarily suitable to me. I'm, I was a bigger guy. I mean, I I don't know when I stand up straight. I was about six foot two and a half. And I seemed the uh, I probably needed um, a bit more of the intense stuff. It seemed to really get me going. It seemed to get me in the groove. But but um, Bill Bill's methodology was more sort of lots of um, lots of reps of slower sort of uh, sort of sort of stuff. And, and look, I, I I you know I spoke to him and we we did sort of accommodate some of some of the things that I'd done in the past. But um, yeah. yeah, so so but it was a different it was a whole different approach. And of course, you know, you just weren't a one on with with Max. You 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 had to sort of fit in with the training regime of a whole squad. So yeah, so that was quite different. But look, very interesting. The only thing is, it was very disappointing for me and. Um, being there less than a month, I actually um, taught, uh, pulled my Achilles tendon. Okay. So here's a guy who's come across on a full scholarship uh, from the other side of the world and supposed to sort of be, you know, the hot shot and he's going to do all these things. So, um, But I was injured for and, and actually didn't run for a year. And okay. I, I went to all sorts of doctors in America, in San Francisco, I was sent um, and um, I ended up having um, injections in my uh, cortisone and my Achilles tendon, which didn't tickle. That sort of uh, made me sit up and take notice. That was quite painful. Yeah, um, all, sorts of, <laughs> all sorts of therapy and stuff. And look, nothing sort of really got a fix. So I came home uh, in there uh, summer, I guess, because they, they have summer off. I came home and it was winter here and sort of got with Max. And I really got down to Sandy Bay Beach, where which I knew only too well, where I'd done lots of training and got in the water and, you know, slowly um, the River Derwent slowly sort of started just trying to walk and paddle. And then sort of Max got me sort of like to the point where I'd be in the water and, you know, trying to run slowly and stuff. Look, and I, I must say sort of um, slowly but surely the, the tendon did say, uh, healed. And I got myself back running, but I but I'd missed nearly a year, um, yeah. and really, you know, I'd lost a lot of fitness, even though I'd been very fit. And you really, and and so then the next next year, so I got myself fit with Max, got back there, and um, back into 
the pre-season for the track season and then um, got myself to the NCAA, NCAA Championships, which is the, the peak championships in America. Um, so hadn't run for a year, only been running for three or four months back and um, sort of wasn't at peak fitness, but I managed to uh, get myself in the final um, of the NCAA. I came fifth. Um, I ran 339.9, um, and um, the, the, the winner was um, a guy called Eamon Coglin, who um, is a, an Olympic finalist. He came fourth in the 1,500 metres um, at the 1976 Montreal Olympics. Um, he was also the world 5,000 metre champion. Um, the guy who came second was a guy called, from Kenya called Wilson Waigwa, um, who who's run the mile in 350, and um, he he um, you know he, he represented Kenya in the Olympics. I think he ran in the 5,000 metres in 1980. Um, third was Matthew Centrowitz, yes. um, who's the, the dad of, as discussed earlier. And um, I can't think so. There was fourth, and then I was fifth. Very high on the field by the sound of it. Yeah, and look, given the limited preparation, I mean, I was a bit disappointed, but I mean, I sort of thought to myself, you couldn't really expect much better. Because um, you know it was a long, long way to go to sort of get back to to the fitness, and these guys are all all super fit sort of people. So, yeah. um, but I remember sort of it's one of the hardest races I've ever run in. I think it was a function of not only the race but not being at peak fitness. And I remember afterwards, I was really just completely. I've never felt like it before. I was a complete spent force. I had trouble even sort of standing up, and I, okay. I thought I was quite crook for a couple of hours. But um, do you reckon? But, do you do you put that down for that year that you missed? Maybe you're probably lacking that. That that yes. base or the or, or probably that mileage needed. That, that, yeah. I, think, I think absolutely true. Yep. Yeah, no, I think yeah, that, that was the case, and I really sort of um, I really got tested, and um, you know, as you say, I didn't have those those reserves, the miles. You can't be putting those miles in the legs. Um, you know, you can do some shortcuts and you can do a bit of speed work and stuff. But look, I think at the end of the day, um, on that last lap, it, it's going to catch up with you, and I think it did. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. And. This uh, this crowd at these uh, NWCA championships, they're massive, aren't they? We're talking, you know, 30,000 people plus still. Is that is that still the case back then? Look, I, I couldn't tell you exactly, but it was a big stadium. It was in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, in, in Philadelphia, and it was 1976, and that was uh, the American Bicentennial. So it was a very big year, and... Um, Look, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a big deal. It's the biggest show in town for for athletics, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, athletics is quite big in America, but look, it's not as you know, college football and college basketball would be, you know, by far and away the the most popular sports. But nevertheless, um, it is popular, and there, there was a big crowd. I'm just trying to think of the stadium. It's a famous stadium, it's so famous I can't think of the name. But you would have seen it on TV and stuff. They they've had some very great races there in the past. I think. Um, yeah. Jim Ryan and uh, Marty Lacoury used to battle it out in the Dream Mile there, sort of okay. a, you know, sixty late sixties and stuff. So, a very famous stadium. Wow, wow! And so you'd finished your time at Oregon University. Uh, you've you've knocked off your your bachelor in three years. Did you return straight back home to Australia? What happened then for you? Yeah, look, I did. Um, I came back in 78 or thereabouts. Um, yeah, was it definitely 78? I just can't think exactly if it was in the middle of the year or not. And then um, I came back and, um, yeah, look, it was hard adjusting. Um, and um, I'd been sort of running fairly solidly since I was about 15. So I suppose by that time I would have been, I don't know, probably not that old, 22 or three or something. Um, so, look, I did, I did continue running and I can't really sort of um, – 
I, I, yeah, I, I, look, I competed. I remember in 1977, I look back on this and one of, the, one of my better races, and I, I actually still think it probably would have been one of my best races at the Domain and the Tasmanian Championships in 1977. I ran 341.8 by myself. Yeah, that's, wow. That's, that's, that's pretty unreal. That's awesome. For the, the 1,500 metres. Now, when I say by myself, uh, I better be careful. I mean, um, there were other runners in the race, and uh, they were good runners, good uh, good runners in Tasmania, a guy called Neil Gale. Uh, no yeah. doubt people have heard of Neil Gale. He he came second. He would have run a very good time, about 3.46. Um, I think Peter Brasher was running. Um, Peter Brasher was a great mate of mine, a very good runner. Um, Peter Peter has beaten me on several occasions over the 800 metres and even the 1500 metres, I think. Um, so he was a great runner and a, a great colleague. Um, and uh, But I, I look back and I sort of think, well, you know, people talk about the four-minute mile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that is a four-minute mile. So whatever way you slice it, dice it. And it was run at the domain uh, by myself. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so I still think back, um, and I reckon even in this day and age, I mean, we'll take take away McSwain. I mean, he's in a different league of his own. I mean, he's clearly rewritten the uh, record books. And I, I did see something the other day, and I think it was in Penguin. You'll tell me if that's not right. Yeah, yeah. So he ran like a 350.4 or something. Uh, well, I, to you. I think he got paced the first 700 metres, 800 metres, and then and then it was solo from there on, which is amazing. Well, that's, it, well it's just extraordinary. It, it, it beggars mm. belief, doesn't it? I, I just oh, absolutely. I can't, can't see. I mean, I can't, I've never heard of anybody able to do that. He's, and, he, he's in a different league of his own. I mean, he's, he's a superstar. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, look, you know, to run 350 by yourself, I mean, I look back at, uh, and I used to run against John Walker. I've run against John Walker a f- a, quite a few times. Um, you know, sometimes not got that close, but it's a couple of times I got pre- fairly close to him, you know, five or 10 metres away. Um, and I don't, look, I mean, it's different times, so you can't really compare, but I can't, I can't even John Walker, but he run 350 by himself. I mean, that's a big call, but I mean, he was a fantastic runner. He's a, an Olympic gold medalist. He was yeah. the first man to run under 350 for the mile. Um, but that's an extraordinary performance. And, and I um, think uh, I think it's a time of year, too, in December. So you're not in a European season. You're in an Australian season where it's, you know, fast times are not run in December. Like it's <laughs> it's just, like, like you said, he's on another level. But, uh, you know, it's exciting for Tasmanians and exciting for Australian cool. running, to be honest. So Yeah, no, look, and, and all power to him. Is, um, completely. I, I just looked at him and I haven't looked at it for years. I just uh, printed off the Tasmanian record. <laughs> it's, it's just yeah. uh, he's, he's literally <laughs> rewritten the record book and um, he's got a long ways to go. So uh, Absolutely. And somebody was telling me about it. And I did see it on YouTube. He's um, three thousand meters recently in Europe. And, yeah, um, yeah. Sub sub seven thirty, I think. It was just extraordinary. Yeah, seven twenty eight or something like that. Yes. And it's just just another one of those runs, which is. I mean, you look at the all time list, and there's just superstars behind him, and, and <laughs> yeah, unreal. Yeah, and and that fabulous. And talking about other runners, um, did you keep a, an eye on another guy who had a Hutchins upbringing? I uh, was coached by Max. Ryan Foster, did you did you guys ever touch pass? Because you're pretty similar, pretty similar standard of athlete as well. Have you guys been in contact or been able to talk about your running days? No, look, I, look, I, when I used to go back to see my family there, as he said at the start, I've lived in Canberra since um, 1988 um, for my job. Um, and um, look, I've gone back and I, I, I've met um, Ryan. Um, you know, through Max and been down to training and, 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 and chatted with him and stuff. But look, I'd lived away for a long time. And I, I noticed when he ran his 339, you know, a couple of tenths faster than me, 
in America. I mean, that's something like 35 years after me. So yeah, <laughs> you won't be surprised. There's a big difference in age. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it was actually 30, 35 years. So I guess it's not that surprising. I didn't really know him very well, but um, yeah, look, somebody told me the other day. Um, I think he, I think he lives in America. Uh, yeah. So I think he's in Pennsylvania. So I know Ryan quite well. We, we're talking. Right. And I think he's, I think he's coaching there now. Uh, oh, okay. Division yeah. one school or division two, but I think Penn State are division one, so it's probably division. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I, I knew he went to Penn State, and yeah. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think where the uh, and, and thinking about it, I think the NCAA that I ran in it was at the Universal University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Okay. That's where the championships were. Sort of when I when I came fifth in nineteen. 76 yeah wow wow mm. amazing and so professional wise so you you came did you come back to tasmania straight away what were you doing for work what oh yeah look i did come back and i, I started look i was a bit of a loss to sort of decide what i was going to do and which direction i was going to go so i tried a few things i started doing an honors degree at the university of tasmania in political science which my degree was from Look, I, I, I sort of thought about it. I, I went for a few months and um, then I thought, and then, I, then I sort of got some jobs. I needed some money, um, needed some money. And, um, you know, I was getting older and stuff and needed to have to sort of stand on your own two feet. And so I worked in, I actually ended up working for a while in a sports store, um, sports master sports store. So, um, and, and then training, I, I, ran a, I ran an after, I was the director of an after school childcare centre. Right. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So had lots of kids. Must have had after hours. I ran it in about ten schools in Hobart. And I was the director, and we used to sort of um, look after the kids after school until their parents came to pick them up. And um, you know, I had I, I I would drive the bus if we had to go somewhere and stuff. So that that was an interesting job. It allowed me to do some training. And um, I can't. You know, I think it's sort of I was at the end of my career there. And I, I suppose really you've got to have that sort of um, interest and drive. And perhaps that was lacking. So. Um, it sort of came to the end, and it was also hastened by the fact that I I, I became a journalist. So I started, um, I got a job as a journalist, and journalists work sort of weird hours, and it's not very conducive the culture to to sport or being fit. So um, I had sort of threw my lot, and that that was, um, and so I look, I stayed there. I worked, um, I went to the west coast. Um, I was up in the Gordon below Franklin Dam debate. I was the uh, Mercury guy in, in Queenstown. So I would go down for the protests down at Strawn uh, and, and up the Gordon River every day. Um, okay. I did that for a while. I went to the Advocate for a while. So your paper. Um, yep, I, worked yep. at, I was the, the, the correspondent in Launceston for about a year or two. Uh, but then I left the state. I went to Western Australia. I worked for the Western Australian newspaper. I covered the, uh, I covered the 1987 America's Cup. No, oh, um, that would have been huge. It was fantastic. So because I knew a bit about sailing and I uh, was from Tasmania, and they sort of thought, oh, anybody from Tassie must be able to sail, which yep. I did <laughs> because I came from a seafaring background. I spent six months um, out on Gage Roads uh, off Fremantle covering the America's Cup, which was, um, was just unbelievable, fantastic. Um, then covered federal, covered state parliament, uh, then went to Sydney for two years, got the call, and I spent the next uh, nine or ten years in the federal press gallery in Canberra. I, I worked for the West Australian newspaper okay. and covered three three federal elections, um, went over to, with, I think, with Keating, I went to London uh, and to Washington. Um, I've yep. been to the Commonwealth Heads of Government uh, meeting in Harare in Zimbabwe, where where I had the, uh, the good fortune of meeting Nelson Mandela because he was there. Oh wow, um, fantastic! So, so that's that's well, you know, I had a, 
I was in a lift with him and um, he, he actually asked me, he said, oh, nice to meet you. He said, where are you from? And I said, oh, I work for the West Australian. And he actually said he'd always dreamt one place in the world where he'd always dreamt of going was Perth, which was actually quite interesting. He never made it, but he... Yeah, wow. When he was in jail and stuff, and he used to always look at pictures of Perth, and he he, he said he'd always love to go there. So that that was interesting. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was a bit uh, of a thrill. So who were the, uh, the, the people in power at that time? So we'd had Keating. That was the Keating government. So when I got there, Hawke, Blake called Hawk. Bob Hawke was there. Yep. Um, so he was Prime Minister. Uh, then, then it was Keating. Yep. And, and then a bloke called John Howard. Oh yeah, um, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, look, I worked, I worked there then, and I think um, during the Howard years, I actually then left. I got a job um, in Sydney at a business chamber. I was the media director for a business chamber, the New South Wales Chamber of Manufacturers. And even though I lived in Canberra, I used to commute to Sydney um, every week for four years. So. Um, and my wife and and, ba- and her our babies were here, and she was studying and working, and I was away for four years. So yeah, wow, um, that's, and that's draining too, isn't it? Travelling back and back and forth that that takes its toll. It was an interesting exercise. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, think I did. <laughs> um, and worked for the mobile phone industry for about fifteen years. Um, yeah. The peak body for the mobile phone industry had Telstra, Optus, and Vodafone as members. And um, look, just been and and I've been in Canberra for more than thirty years. and never worked in the public service, and I've actually been doing some contracts in the public service. So that's been interesting too. So right. that's that brings us to where I am now. <laughs> You've had such a uh, diverse career, just uh, personally in your own life, and then and then when you're running, it's it's really really interesting. And and what are these guys like? Hawk, Keating, Howard? Have you? Have you had one-on-ones with them in conversation? Is that has that ever been? Oh yeah, look, um, yes. The answer is when you're a journalist, so you get to interview them. So, yeah, yes, it's uh, certainly. And I look, I've travelled with um, just trying to think. So Keating around the world in, in the same plane. So yeah, we had a bit to do with him. Yeah, I can um, imagine. Yeah, yeah, and look, I've had some real run-ins with him because I worked for the West Australian, and the West Australian was it wasn't his flavour of the month. He hated the West Australian because, look, you, you know, you probably won't be surprised. But Western Australia thinks it's a different country, really. It's um, they they second guess everything. They play a different game, and because it was always quite critical of Keating, he hated the the, the newspaper. So. Whatever you wrote, you got direct. He, he's actually rung rung up on the phone and um, and, and sort of uh, got stuck in about he didn't like what you wrote. So it's quite interesting. And maybe wow. sort of uh, <laughs> got, telling, giving you a free character reference, which was interesting, with expletives included. Oh, and, wow. um, okay. Sometimes, sometimes at the end of it, you just have to say, "Look, thanks, Prime Minister. It's been fantastic talking to you. I really have to go and have to hang up because um, <laughs> yeah. you, you can only you can only listen to so much of that. I think." Yeah, yeah, and I, I could imagine. I mean, when you get yourself in a position like that, it's a very uh, their personalities are, are are very driven and very. <laughs> I don't know what's the word. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's 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 all about power, and they play for kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They don't they don't take prisoners, and uh, I actually have um I I worked as a senior advisor for for um, two prime ministers. I worked for Howard, um, for a cabinet minister in the Howard government for four years. Uh, from 2000 to 2004, and I went back um, for the health minister in 2017 in the Turnbull government. So Malcolm Turnbull was um, PM, so um, I was a senior advisor to the health minister. So, yeah, look, I've, I've done a few things. but Mate, um, you've had an amazing life. Uh, yeah, look, I have many, I mean, many stories. 
at the time it didn't seem you know just like ho-hum but I suppose when I look back I have been lucky and but I mean I I, I sort of I'll leave it with this that I just thought when having the opportunity and I was quite chuffed that somebody remembered who I was and thank you very much but I always remember a guy called Kent Rayner Kent Rayner was a uh, guy who ran with me in Sandy Bay and he was just a terrific guy and I, I didn't realise until recently I was just looking at something. Kent Rayner was a brilliant runner. He, he really um, placed in national championships in cross country. And um, he was, a, you know, was an absolutely uh, driven athlete and a fantastic guy, quite unassuming guy. And I, I just sort of wondered whether he actually gets, um, you know, the credit which he deserves. Um, I think he was um, a fantastic runner. And, um, you know, and once again, as I say, uh, the risk of repeating myself, I was just surprised at his record. Yeah, I mean, um, personally, I, I love the sport of running. It's a massive part of my life. And I've always known the name Kent Rayner. So I think those absolute passionate people like myself uh, probably realised how, how good Kent was. And I had Russell Foley on the show as well. And I remember Russell very yeah, well. Yeah, yeah he, and, and I used think... To try and- yeah, he's and, and, when I was here with them, um, and I can't think of the guy's name. He was an English guy. Um, oh, he's geez. coach, and he was uh, a, walk, a walking coach as well. He's really oh, nice. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, Albert having, Johnson. Yeah, Albert yeah. Johnson. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and yeah, pretty, oh, well, that, that's great. Good to hear Russell's still going well. Yeah, yeah. He still likes his Guinness, mate. I'm not sure if he liked Guinness when you knew him, but he, but he, but he's fond <laughs> of the odd Guinness, so, <laughs> um, which is fantastic. But for a guy who's been running a long time and you've been around for a fair while, you've seen you've seen a lot of things. What's one piece of advice you'd give a newbie runner or even someone who's been running for quite a while? Well, well, Brian, you won't be surprised. I sort of thought you might possibly ask me that. Yep. <laughs> so I, I, I've done a little bit of a cheat sheet. So, And I just right. thought about it literally about half an hour beforehand. I sat down and I thought, look, I will just – I know he's going to ask this. So if you don't mind, I might just reference it. I just had a, couple of thought, yeah, yeah. had a couple of thoughts that I, I thought I might share. So, Absolutely. look, the first one, so the first point that, that that I learnt and I think sort of stood me in good stead, but looking back, I, you know, perhaps I should have learnt it earlier, um, perseverance, setbacks and striving to do to, 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 to do better. Um, I think that's sort of one of the things that we learn. I mean, it's a bit trite, but it's true. Um, you know, you see people sometimes uh, in, in life, in different walks of life and not our sport, who get a few, few knockbacks and they sort of drop their bundle. Um, I think athletics is a very good um, testing ground and, and learning um, uh, place to learn some of these these, these things. Um, I think do so, I think it's sort of um, for people who, who show some talent, it's a great thing to do something that you're good at. Um, you know, and look, it's interesting that there was a Harvard professor on the radio the other day talking about, you know, people, you know, you've got to do something you're passionate about. And he actually said, well, no, you, you, as a job, and it's not a job, I know, but if you're good at it, you should sort of really, really, um, you know, give it a, give it a crack. Um, and um, I think uh, the other thing is seize every, every opportunity that comes along. I mean, it might not, um, it not, not, might not come by again. So, you know, you sometimes you only get one shot at these sort of things. Um, you can't win at all times, so yeah. so you know yeah, you know people sort of get upset and oh, I didn't win, so don't be hard on yourself. Um, and athletics is an individual individualistic sport. Um, however, as I was sort of I touched on earlier, um, 
you can't really be successful, even though it's an individualistic sport, you need a whole team behind you, not only a, a good coach and a confidant, you need the backing, you probably need, to, when you're younger, parental support, they, they do a lot for, for their kids, um, and, um, and, and a training group, um, a good club, I was lucky enough to be a member of the Sandy Bay Harriers, which was a fantastic club full of fantastic people, you know, very, very welcoming and um, very supportive. So I think so those are some of the things uh, uh, that I learned and, um, and, 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 and probably I, I still remember when I look back and probably still be in reasonable stead. That's some great tips, mate. And I think that's one of the best answers I've had. I've done 35, 36 episodes and that's the most thorough one I've had. That, that's for sure. So I did, cheap, I, did, I did cheap run. Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. <laughs> it's good to be organized <laughs> if you ask me. So well done. <laughs> yeah. And uh, some role models, mate. And it can be, it can be personal. It can be family. Well, right. Yeah, Max Cherry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. But look, really, when I look back, and so look, when I moved away and stuff, I mean, you don't. I look, I never used to see Max much. I'd be lucky once a year when I got back to Tassie, but naturally, always went out of my way. And um, I I was very honoured to uh, be asked by his family to speak at his funeral, um, which was emotional. But um, you know, and um, I think uh, I think a testament to the man was that. the place where it was held, and I can't remember, but it's across the river there, somewhere in Moraine or somewhere in some funeral home. It was absolutely packed, and there was interest from all, all, all walks of life, and everybody had a good word about Max. So, look, he 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 really helped me, and I feel that I was very very blessed and privileged to 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 come across Max and into his orbit. So, um, he he'd been the main one, and, uh, and of course my parents. I mean, yeah, that's nat- natural enough. They've been uh, very important in my life. Um, and um, I'm lucky enough to have a fabulous wife and uh, great kids now. So all my all my kids are so great, and they're all 27, 24, 21. They all still live at home, so um, I, yeah. I, I can't seem to get rid of the buggers. So there you that's go. all right. You must treat them too well, mate. That's why. I, I think that's it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and have they followed in your footsteps, mate? Are they? What do they well, do for careers? Well, it's funny you should say that. So it's in the running wise. Um, so so the one of the boys is a, is a big guy. He's He's, he's about six foot three, but he's big. He, he was very good at sprinting. Um, he, he sort of, without any training, um, you know, no training at all to speak of, could run about 50 seconds for 400 at school. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, I sort of uh, encouraged him, but look, you know, he's very busy. He's um, he's studying at the moment and is going to be a, a, a construction manager on, on big building sites. And so, look, he's right. very busy. So he, he, they, they all played AFL. Um, 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 and Jack was very good at the longer distance. So my younger son was um, pretty good over 1,500 metres and, and 5,000 metres and stuff. But look, they haven't gone on with it. Um, my daughter, Rode, um, she works at Treasury. Um, she's, so she's a Treasury official, and um, but she rode. And uh, so, um, yeah, no, I'm very lucky. They're all, they're all, in, um, they're all pursuing their, their careers and doing very well. So um, right. I'm very blessed. Thank you so much for today, Randall. It's been it's been fantastic, and I, I just think you've had a magnificent life, mate. And uh, I know <laughs> I, I know oh. there'll be many running fans out there who, who can't wait to hear this podcast. So so thank it, you it so had, much. It had had its ups and downs, mate. It's not all uh, it's not all beer and skittles. Yeah, skittle. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we we get through. Absolutely. Uh, Listeners, this has been Randall Markey. I'm your host, Brian Lyons, and this has been the Everyday Lions Running Podcast. Thank you, Randall. Thanks so much. Been a pleasure.
the listeners, that was Randall Markey. And I think you'd agree that Randall has a pretty impressive resume of achievements. And I'd like to wish Randall the best of luck in whatever he chooses to do in the future. If you did enjoy this podcast, please reach out to Randall. I reckon he'd think that's pretty cool. Also, Everyday Lines offers 8-week, 12-week, 16-week and yearly programs at affordable prices. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a ratings on iTunes because we will go up in our little topic of running and more people will find out about the podcast. Until next time, I've been your host, Brian Lyons. This is the Everyday Lions Running Podcast and happy running.